Hi, as always, it's Darren from HackerJob. This week, I'm joined by Sean Allen from BJSS and Spark. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Thanks, man. How are you? I'm very, very good. I'm very good. So you're, you're a bit of a name in the uh, in the recruitment industry, at least in the UK. So I suspect a lot of the listeners will know of you. But for anyone that hasn't come across your profile before and hasn't ever had a conversation with you, do you want to just give us a little bit of introduction into your background? Yeah, of course. So... Thanks for the compliment, mate. I don't think that many people know me, but I'll, uh, I'll take it and hope those good things. Uh, so yeah, I'm Sean. I am the recruitment manager at BGSS, which also incorporates Spark. Uh, we're a technology consultancy that's sort of based all over. So I'm up in, in Leeds, uh, but we've got 10 UK sites, two in the US and one in Portugal now. So we're sort of slowly, uh, slowly expanding. Um, but I've always been focused on tech recruitment for about 12 years, I think now starting out an agency and, and, and moving internal. And I'll apologise for this if there is a video that goes alongside of this. Uh, this is what six months of lockdown does to you. I love looking. Um, I can't even grow a beard, so I'm very, very jealous. I get it's horrible. It's week. just a big, I found a big grey hair the other day. I was like, no, this, this needs to get cut. So yeah, terrifying. So yeah, I apologise for the uh, the appearance. Well, I wish I could grow a beard and I've got so many grey hairs in my hair that um, just finding one grey hair in your beard, believe me, I'm, uh, I'm feeling a lot worse. So, Touching on something you just said there about agency recruitment, I think it's always quite interesting that obviously you get split when when you look internally about people that have worked in an agency and then people that have started internally. So with you moving from an agency before, can you talk to us a little bit about, I guess, why agency wasn't recruitment wasn't for you and why you moved into internal? Yeah, so I did. I, I cut my teeth in agency, which I think is always a good thing. I think you learn a lot of Good things from that and I think when you're internal you can understand relationships a bit better because you can see it from the other side and you don't have just these opinions that you form over time or, or you hear of, of other people but for me the move away from agency I just I just didn't enjoy the sales part of it I'm not a sales business development type person I was more focused on sort of relationships with candidates and, and that, that kind of was the bit that I really enjoyed and, and I had a couple of big clients that I, I really enjoyed working with so it was kind of less about going out and getting new ones it's more about those fostering those relationships and learning more from that side so I think that's what drove me to, to sort of go internal I think at the time as well when I went into recruitment I was kind of wanting say nine till five nothing's ever nine till five now is it but I think the the, the agency thing it got to the point so I looked after contract recruitment as well so it's very quick turnaround fast-paced if Someone could only speak to me at 10 p.m. I'd, I'd take that call. Yeah. And I kind of wanted a little bit of work-life balance. And the only way to avoid taking those calls was to be like, right, I'm going out with my mates tonight and I have to ignore my phone. Whereas when you're at home, I felt obliged to have to take those calls. But it, it, it's definitely something I enjoyed. I don't regret that side of it. I think I learned, well, I learned my whole trade out of that, really. So I'm, I'm very yeah. grateful for that. Yeah, I, I agree. So I, I think that your point there on agency recruitment is really, really interesting because I agree with everything you said there. I cut my teeth in agency recruitment and by the end of it I wasn't really enjoying it exactly for the reasons that you're saying that I spent a lot of time in in my like personal life still working and still focusing on it and I hated business development despite yeah. working technically in a sales role now in terms of what I do from account management I can't do new business I just don't enjoy it I like relationship management it's so much more fun when you know someone and yeah. you have a conversation like obviously we were speaking before the podcast started about like, retro gaming they're the kind of conversations I want to have. I hate, if I'm honest, picking up the phone somewhere and calling them and then pitching them within four seconds of ever meeting them. It's, but everyone has a different approach. You see it, don't you, now? It's, 
you know, with, with everything that's going on, and I'm probably digressing here from what, <laughs> what you want to talk about, but it's a tough time for recruitment in general, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, everyone's been affected. So I do feel for, you know, agency recruiters that are, are going out trying to get that that BD because they need to to keep going. So I've always had a thing of when I've got internal that I'd always respond to everybody that emails and pitches in. And do you know what? Most people are, are just really nice. You yeah. get a few that are, you know, you get a very, very small, small percentage that are very pushy and keep at you. But you're just like, well, if I did need someone, there's 99 people ahead of you just because they're polite and normal and appreciate my stance as well as me appreciating theirs. So, um, yeah, it, it's, I think agency recruiters get given a hard time by internal recruiters sometimes. I, I don't think it's fair. I think there's bad ones both sides and good ones both sides, right? I would never say that everyone in the uh, internal world is also the nice as well. You, like you say, you're going to get bad people on, on both sides and it's all yeah. about, uh, and this is kind of digressing a little bit, but it's about the respect piece that look, yeah. everyone is trying to do a job. And so like the internals are trying to do the best for their company and the, uh, the agency is doing the best for their company. Also agency wise, you kind of own your own desk. So you're running your own little business within a business. So like they are looking after their own kind of bottom line as well. So I think I agree yeah. with the point completely that everyone needs to be a little bit respectful of each other. The next point I wanted to touch on was on the DBR piece. So I know that obviously you're heavily involved in it and I'm sure quite a lot of the listeners will know about DBR. But for those that aren't aware of DBR, do you want to give us a, a little bit of a rundown about what the group's all about? Yeah, it's a, it's a community for internal recruiters and, and HR, basically. So it's just a platform for people to be able to share knowledge and, and learn from each other. So I, I joined it, I can't think when now, maybe five years ago. I've had a lot of jobs since I joined it. It's when I was at Sky that I joined it. <laughs> However many years ago that was, so I can't remember. But yeah, I, I joined it because I wanted to be able to sort of like learn off of other people and, and yeah. get advice from other people when I was stuck and there was no one around me that I could speak to so it's just been a a great platform for me in in that sense of being able to sort of help other people but also get help so it's just just one of many different communities where you can um just speak to like-minded people yeah no no obviously I'm not in DBR I I think you'd be frowned upon if you found me in DBR but what I quite like about DBR when I talk to friends who are involved in it is that that's exactly what it is. It's like a community. They'll talk about like the tools they use and what's going on in the industry and like market insights. So I think, especially if you work for a smaller business, that's pivotal. If you're working in a, a two man recruitment team or something like that, the information that you'll get compared to, I don't know, um, like a Capgemini or a BJSS that are much bigger teams, it's like hugely different. So I think that collaborative nature is, is huge. And uh, I know you're a big part of, uh, a, a subset of DBR, the North DBR. Yeah, so it's. It, I, I wouldn't call it a subset anyway. I guess it's just as um, when, when I was at BBC, I was working over in in Salford in Manchester yeah. uh, for about a year, and there's quite a few people sort of popping up within the community that were sort of northern based. So we just yeah. started getting together and meeting for beers and just chatting, and then sort of grew to a point where we we're like, oh, we could run little meetups up north in Manchester and mainly it was from a social perspective to begin with so we probably talk about work for about 20 minutes and then the other few hours was just having a having a drink and, and, and just chatting and yeah, yeah making friends and, and stuff like that so um yeah we, we've kind of you know put on when when we were able to actually see people in person they sort of changed we were like right we could do some like talks and and, and do meetups that way in, in sort of Manchester and Leeds and it was great because I always loved an excuse you know finish work at half three four get on the train get to Manchester you know you sat with a pint by five o'clock so it was it was fantastic um so yeah we put on different sort of little meetups 
varying in range of, of topics and, and also use it as a platform for people who haven't done pub, uh, public speaking before to have a safe environment to have a go at talking about something, whether that's for 10 minutes or, or half an hour. Because I'd never done it before and it's through DBR and, and just going for drinks in, in Manchester that you know, I met different people and Martin Dangerfield, who runs a lot of the, the true events, gave me my first opportunity to speak at uh, True Manchester beginning of last year. So, you know, it, I got a lot from it for my own own development. So we kind of wanted to use DBR North get togethers as an opportunity for other people who haven't done public speaking before just to have a go where there's no judgment. There's no right or wrong. It's just, you know, get up, it's safe. Yeah, you know, everyone supports you. And afterwards, let's all just go and uh, have a drink and, and just chat chat nonsense. Uh, <laughs> I, I I call it the uh, c word that I try to avoid on on any of these kind of podcasts because everyone's so sick of it. But it's affecting our lives so much, and I, I think uh, it's it's interesting that you've created like DBR North because my opinion on the North is that oftentimes, well, everything basically outside the M25 is when when everyone thinks about like the British economy and and like companies in the UK. They literally just think about the M25. If you're outside the M25, you're a completely different story. Whereas mm. it's like you are going for, I suspect the challenges you have in the North are very different to the challenges that people have in London. It's have a section of people that are experts in this area because the challenges you deal with are very different. Yeah, but you can overcome things together as well, right? So you look at how, how people are approaching hiring or, or if they're struggling to, to source certain skills, what people are doing differently and it kind of benefits everybody. It doesn't matter where you are. The more we sort of collaborate in, in finding ways to, to get new talent as well as existing talent benefits us, us all, right? And I think if you look at the, the North in general, there's so many good companies from small startups to, to global giants across multiple industries that are based up here. Um, you know, you don't need to go to London for that next big career move anymore. Yeah. You know, it is... You can do that in Leeds and Manchester, Sheffield and York and everywhere around. So actually, it's how do we retain people to want to stay here and not get get drawn by the bright lights of, of London and, and look at it that way. So that's the way we've done it. And I definitely wouldn't say, um, you know, that the DBI North thing is me. It's just, it's, it's kind of everyone that, yeah, in that yeah. community that, that made that and made it not a need, but a desire to to have something where we could, could get together. And DBR was a platform that, got that, that sort of community of people together and enabled all of us to to do that to, together really so it's definitely not a, a me or any just admins or anything doing that it's, it's definitely driven by the, the members i would say and I, I i i was speaking to you about it a couple of weeks ago but i think it's it's fascinating that if i look at because i i went to university in manchester lived there for a couple of years after i've been to uni and at that point the options were kind of agency there wasn't many options mm. in, in Manchester or because uh, I lived in Salford Keys around that really for um, for people to go internal in, from what I was seeing and then quite soon after I left Manchester uh, BBC landed in Manchester so it's interesting that the um, the transition over the last few years of the north like growing from a company perspective we are continuously now as a business seeing companies looking to move away from the bright lights as we'll put it abbreviated commas of London and move to somewhere where Firstly, there's a good talent pool for uh, engineers. There's a good internal talent pool that you can grab good recruiters. And also, you're not paying the extortionate prices of having a building in London. So I, I yeah. think it's fascinating to see the growth of, area, of hubs of the UK, not just London. 
um, yeah. yeah. I think if, you, if you're a big enough company as well where you can spread your presence, you can tap into all those local talent pools, but you can also be representative of the UK as a, as a larger piece rather than just focusing on a 30-mile radius of, of, you know, where you are or commuting distance. I'm terrible with London. It's bigger than it's bigger than that, but yeah, it's um, you know what I mean. You're not restricting yourself in in that sense, so you can actually tap into to talent and look to get a, a really diverse sort of representation of, of your company, right? By by spreading further afield. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at Manchester, for example, you've got like Greater Manchester, and you genuinely can travel around Greater Manchester from one location to another. Whereas in London, if you are if you've got a role in like the southeast. And you live in the northwest, there is no chance you are getting there. So I think it's yeah. you can travel a lot further in the north. So actually, people like you're saying about how you would go from from Leeds to Manchester for like a DBR meetup. So I think the geography makes everything a little bit easier in the north compared to the south. Yeah, get a better train service. But yeah, once that's there, we've we've cracked it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have the underground, and the underground isn't exactly the shining light of transport. So don't worry too much on on that stuff. <laughs> So you, you kind of touched uh, on it at the start and mentioned that you've always focused on uh, on tech with what you do. Mm. So what would you say is the biggest piece of advice or, or I guess best tip for recruiters who are new to, to tech recruitment? I think it's having an interest in it, isn't it? I think I liked it because it's challenging and you're constantly learning. Like, you know, just you get a lot of the buzzword bit, but just to understand what certain tools do or frameworks and, and various things, you have to ask ask a lot of questions all the time to, yeah. to enhance that knowledge. I'm definitely not good enough to keep learning enough to actually do it. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to, I think any any sector, I think it's finding something you're interested in, isn't it? Like I've, I've tried to do a bit of finance recruitment when I've had to in, in previous roles and I, I don't enjoy it. I don't understand it. I don't, you know, I just don't have an interest in it the same. Whereas tech, I find really fascinating about what people actually go and build and, and deploy and the tech they use to do that and, and stuff. It's, it's it's really interesting. So I think if you're going into recruitment, it's find something you're interested in because it, it makes it easier when you, you know, you are starting out and you don't have a clue what's what's happening. But that's only a small part of it, right? A lot of us talk about it. It's talk about candidate experience and, and how do you identify talent and, and that sort of thing and those challenges. I think that's really interesting. It's that people side of it. Tech, tech is an in, interesting one because I started when I, because I did uh, engineering, but like manufacturing engineering and then moved into sales and then post-sales and then actually into like uh, data science and engineering. And the reason I did it was exactly what you were talking about, whereas that's actually where my interests lie. Like I will go on, I'll be on a laptop basically all night, every night playing with bits and pieces of, of tech and buying tech continuously which probably pees my girlfriend off quite a lot when she sees all the new tech that's all set up but i agree it's all about having an interest in something because you need to understand and be interested in what someone's building because i think it's very hard to recruit for an area when all you're looking at is buzzwords and you're not really interested about what they're doing because that you're spending a lot of your life talking to these people so you probably want to understand exactly what they're doing yeah, and I think it comes across when you're enthusiastic about something as well. And, and you know, and you know your limits of what you know. I think when you're, you're actually quite honest, you know, I've spoken to engineers in the past who have then talked to me and educated me on things just from having that first initial conversation. And that's really nice because, you know, you never try to, to pull the wool over someone's eyes about what you know or sell something in. You're just quite honest. And um, yeah, I, think, I think most people in their professions don't expect a recruiter to know the insides and outs because you know if i did 
know the insights about an ounce of platform engineering. I'd be doing that, probably getting paid more to do it. So, I, <laughs> you I, know. I, I did a um, I did a, a salary report for a client this morning, and we were, I I did uh, DevOps, data science, software engineering, and test, and looked at the years of experience and looked at what I earn compared to what someone would earn at this after the same amount of experience. And I was like, I went the completely wrong route in life. <laughs> Don't you just wish you could get these apprenticeships? In tech, like when when we left school, rather than now, I definitely go down that route. It's mental. Like I remember my IT lessons being basically Excel, and um, and looking. I, I know that's a cliche to say, oh yeah, we were using PowerPoint and Excel, but genuinely, that's all I did in IT. I took a GCSE in IT and learned nothing from it. Like I did more <laughs> now than I ever did then, and yeah. I've, I've done the exactly the same as you, where I've tried doing coding in the past. And I just don't have the patience to do it. Like I have to be good at something within a couple of hours or really be making progress. Like yeah. the amount of times I've tried learning languages, uh, like actual spoken languages, can't do it. So, no, so yeah. Also, it doesn't help with the Yorkshire accent, right? So that's that's one thing. My, my wife always laughs at is when I do try, when I'm on holiday, to speak another language. Just the, the accent I put on it is just, just comes out as nonsense. I, I, I guess touching on, uh, touching on the kind of next point, so you're obviously a champion of DNI, something we spoke about in your workplace, and obviously mm. it's very apparent on your on your LinkedIn uh, profile. So, in your opinion, um, what can the wider recruitment community be doing to make further progress and ensure that everyone has a seat at the table? I think it's challenging yourself all the time, right? I think if you if you work for a company where the people at the top don't buy into it, you, you know, you, you, you never, or it's going to be very difficult right. to actually succeed. Because I think we talk it, we talk about it a lot and I think it, it's very prominent in conversations around recruitment. But then for me, it's also about actually what, what are you doing once people are in your, your company as well? You know, what does opportunities and equal opportunities look like for people once they are at your company? And I think that's something that needs to be driven that we can sort of uh, help with if, it, if it's appropriate from the roles we perform but needs to be driven by the business from a recruitment angle i think it's challenging everything we do and, and looking at how we do things and, and asking our question you know the question is this still fit for purpose are we you know do we market ourselves to a broader demographic to actually attract a more diverse talent pool to us are we purely focused on hiring really experienced people all the time are we doing anything to help future generations into the the tech industry in in my instance for example right so do we offer apprenticeships do we is our grad scheme fit for purpose the way that we assess people through that there's so many angles to to diversity and inclusion it's just a topic you can talk about for for hours and i keep getting asked to or i have been getting asked to join some some panels around it and i'm I'm no expert in this it's something i'm very passionate about and i'm just constantly learning as well and trying to go actually now, someone said that. Are we are we doing are we doing that? Could we be doing that that better? So I think we always look for the the shining light of who who does this best, and yeah. um, also looking at your resources to be able to do stuff and, and actually challenge back. You know, you know, if you want to do this, you need to give us the the empowerment or the resources to to look at this stuff. But we do a lot around corporate social responsibility and things like that. So there's loads of different local communities and groups and stuff that that we do get involved in to try and, and help tackle the, the, the DNI front of things. But yeah, it's just so big. It's you're just constantly asking, is our uh, assessment process fair? And, and does, does 
is that fair for anybody that goes through through the process? Is is the way, like I say, the way we market ourselves and the way we approach candidates, and there's so many facets that you're constantly challenging yeah. to try and improve it. And what I'd like to see is, is in ten years we're having a completely different conversation to now, um, and we're not sat here saying the same things and then going, well, we've we've had an opportunity to try and change these things and we've, we've failed. So you know, in ten years. We're yeah. having the same chat. We're not doing the right things. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point that it's all well and good everyone having these conversations at the moment. What are you doing about it? Are you just saying, look, I know this is an issue or are you doing bits around it? Like there's, a, there's a client we're working with at the moment um, on a level up scheme, which basically is to give people an opportunity that maybe would have been found out what. So if you're looking at Java engineer, do they have to have microservices, AWS, et cetera? Or would you, if you're looking actually at increasing diversity, would you lower one expectation here to mean you can increase the diversity, but give someone an opportunity that wouldn't have had it otherwise? It's look at the grad stuff as well, isn't it? You know, there's, there's the historic thing where a lot of places were like, you know, you need a first from a red brick university. So you might start to get a, a balance in gender, but actually, um, you know, the, the, the backgrounds are all the same of these people, right? You're not looking at the socioeconomic backgrounds, you're not looking at neurodiversity. Um, there's just so many different things around that. And then it's incorporating, you know, inclusive inclusivity around LGBTQ plus and stuff around that as well. So it's not a, you know, we need more of this person. It's actually, we need more of every person you can imagine. Yeah. And this uh, kind is of what we're looking for. It's looking at everything on a granular level and not just thinking, does this work for, for me? But you need to think about, does this work for everyone that I'd want to test it for? Yeah, and it's, it's actions, isn't it? It's then going away and actually doing something. So, you know, with, with Black Lives Matter, there was a lot of companies posting around the support, which, you know, everyone should support. But then there's a lot of people asking questions, about, but what are you doing about it? So it's, it's great that you publicly support it, but kind of, you know, what, what are you doing to around this around this matter right and i think that's it i think it's we're, we're all good at, at saying the right things and and saying yeah we, we want it you know we're all for this but then behind the scenes are we actually putting in the effort to tackle diversity and inclusion and, and actually um make all of our companies you know dni focused right and, and inclusive of everybody and i think like you say there's things like tech tests you know look at just looking at that you know not everybody's going to say if they need extra time so you're already ruling people out you know looking at just your interview processes and if you, you know when we're on site if you were interviewing people in a room was it like a really busy pass-through sort of place what could be distracting for people was you know do you have the right sort of lighting is it is it just either dark or super bright you know and it's, there's loads of different factors we just don't tend to think of if it's not something we've been affected by or know someone who's been affected by and there's there's no harm in asking questions that's the thing i think we should always ask questions otherwise we'll never learn right yeah i agree i think everyone needs to be critical of their own processes and i think sometimes we we assume that this is because we all work within tech recruitment in, in one way or another i think we always assume that oh this is a tech problem but this this example will probably resonate with you i was listening to the ign podcast a couple of weeks okay. ago and they were saying on that that uh, someone challenged them in a, in a question and said, look, I've been listening to your podcast for five years. You've had one female on for a couple of episodes and the, the, the people that come on every week are all white males. And the, the, the guy who was hosting it, a guy called, uh, I think it was Simon that was hosting at that point, was saying, this is, this is representative of what the market looks like. That 
if you look across the gaming journalism market, it's all white males. There's very few, there's very little diversity. So it's not that we aren't trying to increase diversity, it's that we're not getting people applying. And he said the reason for that probably is that if you're a black female, you look at it and you can't see someone that that is representative of yourself. So I think it's all about looking at your processes and looking at your, your setup of a business and going, okay, how can we promote this so that people feel like they can apply and that they're welcome in it? Because sometimes that can be quite terrifying when you're not seeing anyone that's representative to you and you're thinking, should I apply for this role? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, people are looking at companies that they really want to, you know, there's, there's more factors than just a job on the pay now, right? You know, yeah. some people are driven by the way a company might tackle environmental issues and that might be really important to them. So that's yeah. the sort of company they want to work at. And, and there's so many different things that we look for now that, you know, when I started in recruitment, I kind of wanted a job that, you know, I could enjoy and get paid for. <laughs> you know, I didn't worry about benefits or anything outside of that. I was like, are the people nice that I meet and how much am I getting paid? Whereas now you just look at it, you know, everyone looks at things in a completely different way. There's companies people, you know, might not work for for ethical reasons or, you know, that, that you go, actually, I've got choices now. I don't, that's not the only big employer in a, in a location anymore. Yeah. There's different, different places I can go. So there's, there's so many things people look at. But, yeah, when it comes to the people part, it's, it's trying to trying to make sure that the culture and the the way that you um, offer the opportunities for people is, is is equal and then you know making I guess it's a hard thing to say but it is that appealing to, to everybody and how do we actually do that um, and and you've got to take feedback on the chin right if, if you get some negative feedback from someone don't look at it in a bad way look at it as an opportunity to improve something that, that, that clearly isn't working. Um, the question I always ask every uh, every attendee is, what do you think the market will look like post COVID? Is it if you had some predictions, if you were Mystic Meg, let's say, what would you say the market will look like, or, or change in the market after, after we come out of this? I don't know when will COVID end. I might be grey and retired. That's, that's, that's what I was thinking today. I was chatting to to Claire, my partner, and I was saying, oh, I don't know when this is ending. Like we were. We were looking to go on a holiday in October, but I think that's starting to uh, become less and less likely at this point. Fingers crossed for you. I mean, um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about remote working or, or the split of it or going back to an office. And I think a lot of people talk about it, but we don't think about actual roles sometimes. So, you know, there's some roles that just cannot be, you know, <laughs> um, cannot be remote working. And we seem to be forgetting about all these different different jobs, I think. You know, for, for me, I think where there is the opportunity where you can work remotely, I think some companies will capitalise that. Um, I think some will capitalise on it from a, a cost perspective because you won't need as large real estate. For me, the perfect blend is, is being able to have a split. I agree. Like, I, I, I like working from home. But I miss seeing people in the office. I miss being able to go for a pint. I hate that now if I have to do that, it's a right effort because I could just walk out, <laughs> walk out of the door. But I do like working from home in the sense that I can... I can actually get quite a lot done, but then I'm not very self-disciplined. So I'll very easily go off and finish at five and it's like half six, seven o'clock and I'm still going. So for me, it's int- I, I don't really know. I think there'll be a bit of a blend, but I think there'll still be some companies working out what works for them and what's what's right for them. I think I think it'll be quite, quite divided. I don't think there'll be a shift from either everybody's straight back in or everybody's now fully remote. I think there's going to be quite a, a balance. This is my, my prediction, but... Yeah. Like I, said, I don't know when this will end, so I have no idea. <laughs> my one fear of what happening in the industry now is it always seems like there's a bit of a sheep mentality. 
to like a couple of big players said, look, we're, we're going to go fully remote until till X. So everyone's like, right, we need to do the same because otherwise we'll lose people because everyone's interested in that. But I think it's it's sometimes the case of who shouts the loudest. And there's a lot of people that would love to go back into the office or do a little bit of a split like Whittle. But um, I think not a lot of people were saying, oh yeah, I'd love to go back to the office. Everyone's saying, I don't want to work in the office at the moment. I think as well from a company thing though, isn't it? So it's it's doing what's right for you as well and, and, and right for your people, right? So every everyone's differently and what if you're a small startup and you're paying extortionate rent in central London and all of your workforce are happy to work from home and then yeah, you all exactly. get together or whatever, that's maybe different to if you're a, a giant company and then um, you know, you've got three thousand employees in an office and then you're looking at you know, do well, there's a question of do or don't they need to be there, but then the companies ask ask if people what, what they're after as well. You know, the companies have some small companies going, actually, we're just going remote, but they've not considered if somebody maybe is struggling working from home and would prefer to be in from a mental health perspective or, you know, somebody could have personal issues at home and actually getting out to the office is gets them away from problems, problems at home. So there's, there's so many different things and we're all so different and have different expectations and different needs that I don't think you can blanket something unless everybody was 100% yeah. for it i think you've got to somehow offer that that balance of flexibility yeah and that that's my that's probably my biggest prediction after this that companies will be a little bit more flexible probably in uh, i'm hoping not every company goes we're going to close every office i know there's um there's a major employer in the in the southwest that decided to close like four of their offices and even like their contact centers are going to be working from home it's quite yeah. uh it seems mad to me so i'm i'm hoping that companies think about their workforce and also the workforce they're trying to appeal to in the future because there'll be some people that simply won't apply to roles anymore because they don't want to work from home there'll be some people that won't apply to roles if they want to be full in the office so my hope is yeah. that companies go okay we have the we have a capacity to take take x number in the office let's do some kind of a rotor system where people if they want to go in can go in if they don't they don't yeah you could do that the what is it desk booking or whatever do it that way yeah yeah which a lot of people do anyway already don't they some yeah. some companies already you know that's that's the thing i think it's it's such a buzz thing to talk about at the moment because of the situation we're in but how many companies have already overcome a lot of this stuff you know way before uh, a lot of us who were 100 in the office and are like right how do we how do we overcome this challenge you know a lot of companies were thinking about this years ago right yeah and no and no, i agree and I, I think the um when it another difference when it comes to being in the office is the benefit systems there's a lot of companies that have incredible benefits like they have uh chefs coming into your office and cooking you lunch and all these kind of things um i'll speak to our ceo and say to mark why do we have chefs in our office a lot of these benefits are taken away and i think the companies to some extent need to say look we're taking this away from you because we don't have an office right now but in exchange we're going to give this back to you so there needs to be some sort of replenishment for what you're what you're losing which i you you work internally so you'll probably know this a little bit more from your dvr conversations but i don't know if companies are fully doing that at the moment when they're saying that we're not gonna be back in the office till february next year are they still bearing in mind that people are missing out on on benefits they would have got in the office yeah it's various things it depends what what you offer as a company as well doesn't it i think i think the main focus for us has been just looking after the well-being of of everybody right so you know some people can pivot and adjust to working from home or they've done it before or it's, it's much easier other people can kind of struggle with it so for us the the big thing has always been offering that that pastoral care and that support and making sure that 
people have everything they need to be able to perform their job, but also have the right people to go to, you know, if they ha- are having any issues or, or difficulties around things. And, you know, especially with, I mean, I don't have kids. I've got a cat, as you met earlier. So I think he's enjoying us, us working from home, apart from he sleeps all day. But um, I think people with kids and with all the school shit as well, you know, we've, we've been creative around um, working patterns and different things for people to to make sure that they can balance that that personal life and that work life, but also then not look to burn out by trying to do everything. You know what I mean? And, and actually coming up with solutions on an individual basis to, to to help out with those things. I think that's all we can do at the moment until we get some sort of sight of, of the end where, you know, you can actually go and hug someone or shake their hand and, you know, it's it's not frowned upon anymore or whatever. These are the things you don't think you'd ever miss, but we, we today, we had someone, because uh, I was in the office, the, the other day to pick up a bit a few bits and pieces and someone dropped in and I forgot that you shouldn't be shaking hands so I've offered my hand and he's given me the old elbow bump and I'm like this is weird <laughs> you know I did the same thing and neighbor next door just as uh, the other week was just looking to move in and uh, we hadn't met so we just sort of saying hello and stuff and then I immediately did the same thing put my hand out and he just put his elbow out and was just confused for a moment yeah just like why is, why is he sticking his elbow out to me and then I remembered the whole lockdown thing because it'd be nice you know everyone's just isolated at home you forget what it's like <laughs> outside exactly. yeah you, you, you forget what so i speak to my mates all the time um over like whatsapp and we do like skype calls and stuff but it's weird to think that most of my friends i've seen once or twice this year because you just can't do a lot of things at the moment yeah. so uh even i've got family in, i'm english by my background but my dad lives in wales and like towards new swansea area so for a long period of time, I couldn't even get to see him because Wales was completely shut down. So yeah. I think it's, I cannot wait for the end of this just to be able to do like, go back to some normality. But we're probably a little way out from it still. Uh, yeah, when it was all happening, I thought, no, nah, it won't be longer than a few months. And, you know, what, six months in now? And I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, it's not yeah, going anywhere, is it? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Cool. So we, we've got to the end of the, the, the podcast. Thank you so much for attending, just to kind of start with. But, Thanks for having um, me. No, no worries at all. There's probably some people afterwards going to have some questions or have some some thoughts on some of the stuff you've said. So what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, catch me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'll, or if you're in DBR, just hit me up in Slack. Um, yeah. And then if people want to reach out to myself or the HackJob team, you can reach out to hello at hackjob.co and we'll take it from there. Thanks again for your time, Sean. Awesome. Nice to see you, man. Thank you.